Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. We are starting off with case number 13, autism spectrum disorder, motor concerns. The case reads as follows. A three-year-old male presents with a diagnosis of pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, autism spectrum disorder to an outpatient clinic for evaluation. He was born full term, but had difficulty nursing as a child and was mildly behind in his motor milestone acquisition. While he is able to walk, his mother reports that he has difficulty with balance, does not like to explore much, and is not climbing or jumping. She also states that he has difficulty with eye contact, rarely smiles, and is not making many sounds. She would like to know if her son would benefit from physical therapy services to address his current delays. Let's go over some general physical therapy considerations. A general physical therapy plan and goals may include addressing bilateral coordination, balance, and motor planning of movement to allow for typical development of skills and age-appropriate participation. Physical therapy interventions may include developmental activities addressing balance and coordination, gait training, aquatics for proprioception and strengthening, as well as parent education on incorporating activities throughout the daily routine. Some precautions during physical therapy may include being aware of the child's sensory system and tendencies towards overstimulation, and cues and warnings may be needed to assist a child in transitioning. Complications interfering with physical therapy may include that some children may have difficulty with various sensory stimuli, becoming overwhelmed by sounds, visual input, and or tactile stimuli, which may cause them to shut down and not be able to participate in therapy. Haven't we all been there before? Let's move on to some evidence-based clinical recommendations. The MABC2, that's the Movement Assessment Battery for Children 2nd Edition, and the BOT2 
are reliable tools that are appropriate to assess motor skills in children with autism spectrum disorder. This has grade A evidence. Sidebar. We're starting to throw a lot of outcome measures at you with this case files book, but also from our previous episode on autism. Outcome measures really become overwhelming throughout the studying process, so get organized with them. There is an APTA fact sheet that highlights the most common ones. Use that to guide and organize your outcome measure review. They also do a wonderful job organizing them by ICF category, so this is definitely a must-use tool for you in your study preparation. PCS Advantage also has a really nice study guide on outcome measures as well. Okay, back to the case study. Select complementary and alternative treatments known as CATs appear safe and may improve aspects of behavior in children with ASD. Some of these may include melatonin, multivitamins, massage therapy, acupuncture, exercise, music therapy, or animal-assisted therapy. This has grade B evidence. You don't need to know necessarily all of the information about each of these complementary and alternative treatments, but it's good to kind of have on your radar, especially going into this exam and also just in your practice. If a parent comes to you and says, hey, I've heard about this specific treatment, you at least have some background knowledge on what this treatment is. Lastly, aquatic therapy may improve motor skills and social interaction in children with ASD. This has grade B evidence. Some clinical pearls from the chapter include the following, low muscle tone, early difficulty with head control, and early asymmetry in the use of the arms are impairments that could be present in children with ASD. When assessing bilateral coordination, the BOT2 would be a good outcome measure to choose. The MABC2 does not specifically address bilateral coordination. Some additional activities that do have some evidence to back their effectiveness in children with ASD include hippotherapy, aquatics, and repetitive play activities. All right, now we're moving on to a case study on idiopathic toe walking. This is case 28 from the case files book. A five-year-old boy was referred to an outpatient physical therapy clinic for management of concerns related to his toe walking. The child's medical history was obtained through an interview with his parents and a review of available records. The patient was born at 36 weeks gestation following a pregnancy complicated by ogliohydroaminos. Delivery occurred via cesarean section with a birth weight of four pounds and one ounce. Supplemental oxygen was briefly required after birth, but the child did not require an extended hospital stay and was discharged home with his mother. No other significant medical history was reported, and the child's general overall health was reportedly excellent. Early developmental milestones were achieved within typical timeframes. From the onset of independent ambulation at 11 months, he inconsistently exhibited a bilateral toe walking pattern. When the parents mentioned this intermittent toe walking as a concern at well-child visits, the child's pediatrician assured them that the patient would outgrow his toe walking. At the five-year well-child visit, he was toe walking 100% of the time, 
complained of intermittent pain over the dorsal aspects of his tarsal heads and had recently started to trip and fall, especially when negotiating stairs. With knee extended bilateral passive ankle dorsiflexion measured negative 10 degrees in subtalar neutral. Physical therapy considerations for idiopathic toe walking are improve active and passive dorsiflexion range of motion, increase the incidence of heel strike at initial contact, and attain age-appropriate gross motor skills. So in the above case, we know his dorsiflexion range of motion with knee extended is negative 10 bilaterally. Clearly, he is toe walking because he is limited in his range of motion. What is normal range of motion for knee extended dorsiflexion? We know this is about 20 degrees, so he is way off of that. At negative 10, he will not be able to achieve heel strike without major compensations, if at all. Physical therapy interventions may include stretching of the tight lower extremity muscle groups, gait training, and strengthening of weak lower extremity and trunk muscles, use of orthoses and serial casting, and home exercise program development. Heel strike at initial contact is consistently observed in typical gait by 18 to 24 months. Toe walking that persists after 18 to 24 months without a neurological or medical diagnosis is described as idiopathic toe walking. Conservative intervention is obviously the first choice of treatment, but if conservative treatments fail to improve ankle range of motion, surgical lengthening at the tricep surrey muscle tendon complex or percutaneous lengthening of the Achilles tendon is often considered. When evaluating toe walking, obviously a detailed history is important to rule out any possible neurological causes. If you note spasticity or abnormal reflexes, this is not idiopathic toe walking and is more suggestive of an upper motor neuron involvement. Tests and measures should include age-appropriate pain examinations, muscle tone and reflexes, range of motion, muscle strength and length, alignment, balance, posture, gait, and gross motor skill assessment. This case study highlights the Denver 2 as a developmental screen for children two weeks to six years. It is parent and therapist observation, and it screens all of the major areas of development. This case study also suggests using something like the short sensory profile because toe walking and sensory processing dysfunction are correlated. The case study highlights that early identification and intervention may improve outcomes. They discussed serial casting as an intervention and gave it a grade B level of evidence. They also discussed the combination of serial casting and Botox, but highlighted a recent study that did not support the addition of Botox to improve outcomes. The book details that several authors recommend using passive range of motion as a guide to selecting interventions. With children less than zero degrees with knee extended, serial casting is preferred. With zero to five degrees of range of motion, orthotics, night splinting, and PT may be enough. That wraps up our case studies for this week. We hope you are enjoying this content and please let us know if you need anything or have any suggestions. Happy studying! Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. 
So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.